Well, how's everybody doing? Doing good? It's that time of year again. I was in Walmart, and I, uh, I saw him put out, putting out the uh, Christmas decorations, so... It's not quite that early. It's not November 1st, but imagine that it, it is November 1st with me for a moment. Imagine that Christmas time is upon us, okay? And I'm, I'm giving you a blank check. You can have one gift. It can be anything, anything in the world. Money is no object. What would you ask for? What would you ask for? Picture that thing in your mind. You got it? That one thing, the, the only thing you could ask for anything in the whole world, outside of the world, anything. Picture that in your mind, okay? Good. Now, did anyone in here ask for a deeper relationship with God? Well, shoot. That's a bit on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit on the nose. I'll admit, it wasn't the most fair question. It wasn't. It wasn't. When we think of Christmas presents, we don't, norm or we, we don't normally think of intangible things, although a relationship with God is a tangible thing. It's, it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around sometimes, but we usually think of stuff when we think of Christmas presents, right? And I'm sure many of your wants and desires for this gifts, for the gift, I'm, I'm sure when you thought of whatever that thing that you thought of, it was probably something that you spend your time thinking about purchasing, about stuff, about buying. Maybe it's a bigger house. Maybe you were thinking about a sweet vacation you want to go on. Maybe some of the students in here were thinking about the next gaming system, the PlayStation 5000 or whatever we're up to these days. I don't know, right? Maybe it was one of those new Chevy trucks that I drive by in Snyder's every single day. I drive by and I think, that would be nice to have one of those, right? Maybe that's what you were thinking about. I'm sure there are a lot of things running through your minds. And I'll be honest with you, I set you up. I set you up a little bit. But I did say you could ask for anything. I did say it. I said you could ask for anything. Maybe some of you took me up on that. Maybe some of you did. Maybe all you want for Christmas is a spouse, right? Maybe you're kind of tired of being alone. You thought, man, if I could ask for any one thing, I'd be a girlfriend or boyfriend or just not to be alone anymore. Maybe some of you are kind of struggling in your marriage and you thought, man, if I could get any one thing, I would love to have a better marriage. Or maybe you went a little darker than that. And maybe you're like, man, if, if I could have a new spouse, then I would have a better marriage and that would be better, right? I'll trade her in, trade him in, upgrade, right? Maybe, maybe some of you went there. I'm just being honest. I know some people thought that, right? They did. That's okay. That's why you're here. We're sinners and we need Jesus. But some of you probably thought that. Maybe some of you wished for a child. I'm sure with all of the baby fever going around, I'm sure there are probably some couples out here right now that are maybe struggling, struggling to, to get pregnant. And you look at all of the young babies being born and, and you think, man, Lord, I'd really like this. The one thing I would like to have for Christmas is a child. I want to raise a child. I want a family. And more than that, you look at all of the babies that are being born and you think, I hate you. I hate that you're able to do this and I'm not. Again, I'm not trying to be too crude or rude here, but just being honest this morning, some of you probably went there. You probably went there. Maybe you're just bored in life. Maybe you're just bored. You wish for some excitement, some more pleasure, some more adventure from life. You have all these single friends and you see how much fun they have on the weekends and you're stuck in the mundane routine of married life. And you just thought, man, if... 
If I could have what my bar buddies have, then I'd be happy, right? Have some more excitement. Have a better life. Maybe some of you are a little overweight, a little unhealthy. What you wished for for Christmas was a slimmer body. You got that sister-in-law who can eat whatever she wants, that little snot. <laughs> she can eat whatever she wants and she never gains any weight. Maybe you thought, man, Lord, if, if I could have one thing for Christmas, that's what I want. Or maybe just the drive to do some exercise. Tell you what, I've prayed about that. I still hate running. I get convicted like once every three months and I go for a run. And I remind myself why I don't do that on a regular basis, right? Maybe that's what you wish for. Maybe you wish for a new personality. You have this one friend who's a, a magnet to people. It's just easy for them. They get all the opportunities at work. People flock to them. They have tons of friends. And if you're honest, you're maybe a little awkward with people. You kind of hate that about yourself, but it's always been kind of hard. And you just thought, man, if I could have one thing for Christmas, it would be the ability to have friends, to be winsome, right? To, to be at ease around people and to be liked by people. I want a new personality. I want a new personality. I don't know where your mind went. It was a huge, huge opportunity for things to ask for. Could have went anywhere. Could have went anywhere. But I'm wondering if anyone wished for a deeper relationship, a deeper experience with God, to know him more, to be known by him. So we're finishing up the Ten Commandments series today. And some of you are probably like, finally, this has been a brutal series. It's been kind of brutal. Hopefully it hasn't been all brutal. The truth is, that Jesus died so that we can live up to the Ten Commandments. He did it for us, and we can trust him. And so hopefully it hasn't been too brutal. But we're going we're gonna to finish where we started today. The very first commandment is about, about idolatry, and so is the tenth. So is the tenth. It reads like this in Ephesians, or, uh, Exodus 20, verse 17. It'll be on the screen. It says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or female servant. Maybe you know somebody who's got a maid. Put that in context. His donkey, or his ox. Think SUV, tractor, car, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So God says, don't covet your neighbor's house, their wife, their servants, their cars, or donkeys, or animals, or in case I missed anything, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet that person, place, or thing that your neighbor has. Now, coveting is kind of one of those Christian words, like we never really use it. So I was trying to think about it today, or not today, this last week. I had a hard time putting my finger on it. What exactly does it mean to covet? What does it mean to covet? Well, I think coveting has to do with having an unhealthy and sinful craving for something that you don't have. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. You desire and you crave to get something or have something you don't have, and you're unhappy because you don't have that thing. You're unhappy about it, and more than that, you resent other people that have what you want, that have what you want. You see, coveting is not just about noticing nice things. It's not just about noticing nice things. Hey, man, nice wife, right? Wow, nice car. That's not coveting. That's not coveting. Although it's probably not the best to comment on another guy's wife if you're a guy. I wouldn't advise that. 
But that's not coveting. It's not coveting to notice nice things. Coveting has more to do with keeping up with the Joneses. You've heard that phrase. Coveting has more to do with keeping up with the Joneses. You start coveting when you desire what someone else has. So think someone else's job, their success, their stuff, their sexy physique, right? Their fertility, their family, their spouse, maybe their metabolism, their personality, their giftings. You start coveting when you desire what someone else has and you feel dissatisfied because you don't have that thing. Coveting makes you sick with desire, with envy and jealousy and resentment. You resent others who have what you are desperate to get and in your desperation, you make terrible decisions trying to get what someone else has. At its core, coveting is a sick and desperate craving rooted in discontentment. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. We've been speaking about idolatry every couple messages here in in the Ten Commandments. And I haven't found a definition as helpful as what J.D. Greer has, has given. He says it like this. He says, an idol is whatever your heart most loves. So what it delights in what it depends on, whatever you feel like you have to have in life, and what you obey, whatever your behavior is controlled by. So whatever those things are that you love and crave most, what you delight in, you will covet. You will covet. You'll be discontent without that thing or those things. You'll long for them, and you'll resent other people who have them. So when I ask you to think about that Christmas wish, Most likely, unless you wished for more of God, you probably went through an exercise in coveting this morning. See, we all do this. We all do this. We're discontent with life, especially when we jump on social media. Nobody posts the terrible things of their life. They usually post the ideal situation and then put a filter on it to make it look even better. So it's not real. We look at people's perceptions, what they're projecting, their perfection, and then we think, wow, I wish I had what they had. It's, it's coveting. We, we covet because of this, okay? We covet. We covet. We're discontent with our lot in life. We desperately crave what those more, more fortunate than us have. It's subtle. It's subtle, but we all do this, and we do this because the Bible says our hearts are idle factories. We can't help it. We can't help it. See, church, we were made, you and I were made to be worshipers. We were made to be worship. You to be worshipers. You worship something. The question isn't isn't if you worship, it's what or who do you worship? What or who do you worship? What is the thing that is controlling you, shaping your desires, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you live? The Bible says it's either God or it's an idol. God or an idol. So that means, as with all the commandments, we don't need some psychobabble, right? We don't need some psychobabble to try and do better to not covet. We don't need some more self-help books to try and improve ourselves. We don't need science or experts to tell us what habits to put in place to build a better you. Our problem is not with our brain chemistry primarily. That means you don't need another pill. I'm not coming down on medication. There's a time and a place for that. But when we're talking about the Ten Commandments, when we're talking about covenant, you don't need more medication. 
See, our deepest problem is not a physical problem. It's not a psychological problem. It's not sociological or economical. It's theological. We have a theological problem. How we relate to God will determine whether we keep any of the commandments. And coveting is no exception. It's no exception. So I want to spend the rest of our time today unpacking what our relationship to God should be characterized by in order to keep the 10th commandment. And the, answer, the answer comes from Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13. Let's read it together. This is Paul writing from prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were always concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Great passage. I think it tells us the secret to contentment. The secret to contentment, to keeping yourself from coveting, lies in finding your joy and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. It means being satisfied in and by Jesus. If you'd flip back a few pages in Philippians, Philippians 3, 7 and 8, Paul says as much. He says how he does this. Verse 7 of chapter 3, he says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things, and I consider them garbage. Now, the English doesn't get this translation perfect. Garbage, it's not strong enough. In the Greek, Paul doesn't swear, but he comes as close as you can as a Christian without sinning, right? He says, I consider all things, everything, the good things, the bad things, all things, I consider garbage, excrement, poo. I consider it all like poo compared to knowing Jesus, that I might gain Jesus. Now I realize this is probably not that much of an encouragement to many of you. Because you're thinking, well, we can't just will ourselves to delight in God more. How, how am I supposed to fix this? This is an affection problem. It's a heart problem. I got a, a problem with my wanter. I can't just say, well, I delight in God more than anything else, more than I delight in that new truck, or more than I delight in that vacation, more than I delight in sex or anything else. We can't just say it and make it so. But that's what we need. 
We need to delight in God more than anything else. But how? How? How are we going to do this? We need to want God more. But the problem is we can't just try harder. We can't just make this happen. You may be thinking, you, you love the world too much. Your desires for other things are too strong. There's, there's things in this world, pleasures in this world that are just too good. You can't say no to them. You think, my desires are too strong. The truth is, loved ones, that's not true. Your desires are actually too weak. Your desires are too easily satisfied by the garbage the world has to offer in compared to who Jesus Christ is. They're too weak. They're too weak. The problem isn't that our desires are too strong, but they're too weak. They're too easily pleased by the lesser things of this world. See, we need a greater affection, a greater desire for God. That, a desire for God that won't be pleased by anything less than God himself. We need to receive and walk in God's grace to be overwhelmed by what Jesus has done and given for us. We need to see and experience God. And once we do, nothing in this world will satisfy you like he can. Nothing will. Say, that sounds nice, but how do we get that greater desire for God? How do we make sure that the only thing we covet is more of God himself? I think Paul lays it out for us in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what your circumstance, Paul, God through Paul, is telling you, commanding you to rejoice. Seems like a tall order, doesn't it? With all the things in the world that we have to complain about and the suffering that goes on, and yet God says, rejoice. Rejoice. Do you think God would give us this command if we didn't have reasons to rejoice? No, he wouldn't. God is not irrational. He's not a tyrant, right? He's not going to tell you to do something if you can't do it, if it's impossible for you to do it. He's not like that. The Bible says he's a good father. So when he gives us this command, that must be that we have reasons to rejoice. We have reasons to be thankful, to rejoice. And we do Christian, if you're in Jesus, you do have a reason to rejoice. How could you be discontent? How? Think about it. What are you lacking in Jesus Christ? Think about this. What are you lacking? He has freed you from the sin that so easily entangles. You are freed from that. You are. You are no longer a slave to sin or to stuff or to pleasure or to material possessions. You are free. You are free from the approval of man. You don't need to achieve that, pursue that anymore. Christ has set you free. He's washed away your past. Some of you have done some pretty terrible things, some things you feel awful about. Your past is a mess. Jesus says, it's gone. It's done. It's clean. You're clean. You're not who your past says you are. He's washed away your past. He's given you a beautiful future. A beautiful future. He's promised you an abundant life here and now, an exciting life, a life of adventure where you get to follow him into crazy places, uncomfortable places, and yet be secure. Following Jesus, 
trusting Jesus, sharing Jesus. It's an adventure. It's an adventuresome life, but it's a safe life. He's given you the truth. You know the truth. He's given you resurrection power. He's given you his spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you if you have faith in Jesus. What do you lack in Jesus? How can you be discontent? He's taken your shame on the cross. You feel shameful about the things you've done. Jesus took that. He bore your shame on the cross. He bore the curse that you deserve on the cross. And then he exalted you with him and gave you honor so that you could be a co-heir with him at the right hand of God. Christian, what do you lack? Why would you be discontent? Why would you be discontent? He's secured for you an eternal home, an eternal home in heaven, giving you the highest honor of becoming a child of the king, a child of the king, right? An eternal home in heaven in a gated community with a mansion where your streets are paved with gold and where only prime beef is served and the choicest of wine whenever you want it, however you want it fixed, and it's free. You don't have to work for it. Jesus bought it for you. He bought it for you. That's what Paul's saying when he says rejoice. What are you lacking, Christian? Why are you discontent? Why would you store up for yourselves junk down here where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal when Jesus has prepared a place for you where your treasures will endure to be enjoyed forevermore? What do you lack, Christian? Jesus has adopted you into a family you say, my family stinks. I don't have a family. I'm alone. I got no one to take care of me. That's not true if you're in Jesus. You have a hundred new brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, aunts and uncles, grandmas, grandpas. You have a new family. It's called the church. It's called the church who's going to take care of you, who will love you like you deserve to be loved, who will bear your burdens, carry your load. You've been adopted into a new family. Stop saying you don't have a family. You have one if you're in Jesus. It's called the church. It's called the church. What do you lack? What do you have reason to be discontent for? You are loved. You will always be loved and accepted. Jesus has declared you righteous. Declared it so. You are righteous. Right now, forevermore, you are righteous and good and there is nothing that you can ever do. There is no way that you can ever fail to lose that goodness, to lose that righteousness. That's who you are. Doesn't matter if you sin tomorrow. Doesn't matter if you sin five minutes from now. Jesus says you are righteous. You are good. You can stop working to earn it. I bought it for you. It's paid for. That means there's no bad day in Jesus. There's no unproductive day when you're in Jesus because if you're in Jesus, he's done all the work. You don't need to strive anymore to measure up. You do measure up because Christ has made it so. Because he's made it so. The endless striving to measure up is done. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's what he's talking about. See, Jesus is an easy master to serve because he does all the work. He does all the work 
in and through you. You can't produce. Jesus knows you can't produce. And he doesn't expect you to. What does he say? He says, come, abide in me. Abide in my love. And I will do the producing through you, in you. What are you lacking, Christian? In Jesus, what are you lacking? What do you need that he has not already provided? Say, I'm not that smart. I'm not that connected. Come on. Come on. That ain't true. In Jesus, you have been given the spirit of wisdom and truth that will guide you into what you need to know when you need to know it. Will give you words to speak when you need to speak them. You are equipped in Jesus. You are. You're equipped. You don't lack a single thing. And you're connected. You're connected. In Jesus, it's all about who you know, right? It's all about who you know. It has nothing to, well, a little bit of what you know, but mostly who you know. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? You say, I don't matter down here. I'm not that connected. I'm not that influential. I haven't left a legacy. That's not true. That's not true. Sure, you might not know the president. You might not know Brad Pitt, but you know the God of the universe. You know the God of the universe. You know Jesus, and he knows you personally. Bible says Jesus knows you so intimately, so personally, that when one single hair in your head falls to the ground, he knows that happened. He knows that happened. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. That's how intimately Jesus knows you and loves you. He knows you. And he's not just an acquaintance, right? Some people, they name job. Oh, yeah, I know this senator. I know that guy. And they don't really know them. They might. It's an acquaintance. That's not what it's like in Jesus. Jesus is not just an acquaintance to name drop. He is your co-heir. Your co-heir. He is your brother. That's what that means. Co-heir. You're adopted into the family. Jesus Christ, the person who knit all of you together in their mom's womb. He is your brother, your co-heir. You know him, and he knows you. And if you live for him, you will leave a legacy. Your life will matter. It will matter. More than any one man's life matters. Your life will matter because it's in Jesus. And his reign and his rule and his legacy will last forever, for eternity. What do you lack, Christian? What has God failed to provide for you? And who can take any of it from you? You say, death. Let's talk about death. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where, O oh death, is your victory? Jesus Christ has defeated you. Death, you are done. Christ killed death. He killed it. It's done. We don't have to fear it anymore. Christian, what do you have to complain about? Why are you discontent? You've been given all things in Christ. You are not your old self. You are a new creation, signed and sealed for eternity. You may say, yeah, okay. But Levi, you don't know my suffering. You don't know how hard it's been for me. You don't know what's been done to me. My body's failing. I'm wasting away. It's true. I don't know your suffering. But God does. 
And more than that, he bore it on the cross. Jesus himself suffered. He knows what it's like, and he wants to take your suffering. He can sympathize with you, but not only that, because he rose, you too can and will experience resurrection power in your life. See, when you suffer, you share in Christ's suffering, and the same resurrection power shows up, and when it does, you will also share in Christ's glory. Paul says in Corinthians, we have this treasure, we have this beautiful treasure, but it's held in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We are always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn you? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised for life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us when trouble or calamity come into our life? When we're persecuted? When we're hungry or destitute or in danger or, or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, what do you lack, Christian? God has approved of you. He accepts you. The creator of the universe loves you and wants to spend time with you for all eternity. And Jesus made it all possible. So I say with Paul, rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice, rejoice. What has God failed to give you in Christ? How has he failed to provide for you? What promise has fallen short? What future glory disappoints you? Rejoice, think on these things. Brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. And when you're anxious, when those sinful, deceitful desires rear their ugly, lying heads, when you're anxious, when you crave what others have, pray. 
Pray in all situations. Keep praying. Don't be anxious, but instead, pray. Cry out to God. Keep praying. Pray. Then pray some more. Be as persistent as that widow who kept coming before the corrupt judge. Be as persistent as that widow who kept coming, even though the judge was corrupt. Even though he was evil, she kept coming. She kept coming. And her persistence, the judge says, fine, I'll give her what she asked. Be as persistent in your prayers as that widow before the corrupt judge. If the corrupt judge will give the widow what she asked for, don't you think God who is good will hear your prayers? Be as audacious in your prayers as the man who comes to his friend's house in the middle of the night and pounds on the door until his friend finally comes up, gets out of bed. So he pounds and pounds. He says, go away, we're all sleeping. And he keeps pounding, he keeps pounding. And finally the friend, because of the audaciousness and the persistence, he gets out of bed and presents his request. Be as audacious in your prayers before God as the man who's willing to go before his friend in the middle of the night, three in the morning, and pound on that door until his friend gets out of bed. And be humble in your prayers. Be as humble as the tax collector tax collector who wouldn't even go into the temple, but stood outside from afar, beating his chest, crying out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Don't be anxious. Talk to your good Father in heaven. Let him know what you need. Present your request to him with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving. Give thanks to God. Remember the good things he's done for you in your past. What he saved you from. How he's protected you over the years. Remember the good things he's doing for you even in this very moment. Are you breathing? We just sang a song. It's your breath in our lungs. That's true. Doesn't matter if you acknowledge God or not. The Bible says a couple places, Colossians 1, 1 Corinthians, in him we live and move and have our being. In Jesus, all things. How much is all things? All things hold together through Christ. Are you breathing today? It's because God is being gracious to you and putting breath in your lungs. Give thanks to God for that. Is there love in your life? Is there any goodness in your life at all? You have those good things because your heavenly Father has given them to you. Give him thanks for those good things. Give him thanks for those good things. And enjoy and give him thanks, or sorry, give him thanks for the future he has promised. Give him thanks for the future he's promised. Are you struggling today? Think of the future. Think of heaven. Imagine it. Seeing Christ face to face. It's going to be awesome. Walking with him in the cool of the morning as one walks with a friend. Eating a feast with him and all of the other saints, all the other believers who's gone before us. Having a party in paradise. A never-ending, always and forever party. No tears, no pain, no suffering, no death. Only love, only joy and peace and fun, only creation and adventure and exploring and fellowship and friendship. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise. Come on. What do you lack, Christian? What are you lacking? 
What do you have to complain about? Rejoice and be thankful. Jesus is making all things new. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Think on the good things of God, what he's done for you, what he is doing for you, what he will do for you in Christ. And verse 9 in Philippians. Verse 9 in Philippians. Surround yourself with others who put these things into practice. Share your heart with them. Learn from them. Pray with them. Rejoice with them. Mourn with them. Love them. And receive love from them. Speak truth to them. And receive truth from them. Put these things into practice. And you will know the peace of God in your life. You see, the cure to covenant is finding contentment, peace in God. The craving you have for something that makes you sick with desire will only ever find its cure when you know the peace and contentment of God. If you put these things into practice, rejoicing in the Lord, thinking on his good gifts, being thankful, doing life with fellow believers, if you put these things into practice, when you have plenty in wealth and prosperity, you will be content. You will be kept from being enslaved by your stuff. You'll be able to enjoy those good things and be generous with them because you've received them as a gift from your heavenly Father to be used for his glory. And in poverty, in hunger and suffering, you will have peace and contentment. You will know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those he's called to his purposes. You'll know that your suffering is known and seen by God and is serving a high purpose. It's not meaningless. It's producing something. An eternal weight of glory. Seek first Jesus and his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. You'll be able to do all things. You'll be able to be brought low. You'll be able to be exalted through Christ who gives you strength. You'll be able to do all things and you'll be content. You won't covet because in Christ you will know that you lack nothing. You have all you need. The band can come up. Jesus is enough, church. He's enough. Do you believe that? May God grant us the faith to believe that. May he give us the ability to delight ourselves in him. And may he alone be that which satisfies our hearts. May we all delight ourselves in the Lord. And may the Lord grant us the desires of our redeemed hearts. Let's pray. Father, we're a forgetful bunch. The worries of the world drowned out the truths of Jesus. We lose sight of all that we have in you. And that makes us discontent, makes us covet things, makes us unthankful. Father, that's not who we want to be. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes this morning afresh, that you would renew our minds with the truth that in Jesus, 
Because of Jesus, we lack for nothing. We've been given all things. We have all things. I pray that we would not just know that in our heads, Lord, but that you would move that knowledge from our heads to our hearts. Lord, we cannot do that. As I said before, we can't just will it and make it so and say, we love Jesus and he's the best thing that we love. He's the only thing that we love. We can't just say that with our lips and make it true, Lord. We need a new heart. We need a transformed heart that believes that, that knows that, that experiences that. Would you do the work that we are unable to do in us this morning and help us remember? May we never forget this, Lord. Help us think on these things. Help us be intentional to remember these things. Encourage our hearts by this truth this morning. We love you. We want to love you more. Please help us. For your glory and our joy, we pray. Amen.